everyone, and welcome to a new episode, the first episode of 2020 of Opera After Dark. Yes, welcome to the first episode of 2020. Regular listeners of the podcast will notice an absence of a voice in this week's episode. Uh, Today it is Naomi and I, Kyle, uh, and we're missing Elspeth, but Elspeth will be back with us very shortly uh, after this episode plus one more. Uh, But don't worry, I know there's many Elspeth fans out there and she'll be back. And our topic for the episode and for beginning this new year is we are delving into the world of song cycles. So we're going to start with talking about the origin of song cycles, the origin story. And we'll talk about some early song cycles and some famous composers that wrote cycles that are very interesting uh, in the next episode. And then as we go on, we will come back throughout the spring to the topic of song cycles. And before we recorded today, Kyle and I were talking and we were saying how actually all three of us, myself, Kyle and Elspeth, we have all sung parts of song cycles at different parts of our performing lives. Right. I didn't really have much of a performing life. <laughs> Me but neither. When I did, Me neither. Yeah, let's be honest. When I did, I did sing uh, some song cycles. And I know that Elspeth has done a lot of song cycle work in her performing career. Mm-hmm. And still She's, does. She is still a yeah. performer. She is a real performer. I am just, <laughs> I am a, a, a dreamer in that you're sense. A, you're a speaking <laughs> artist. A speaking artist, yes. Yes. I also didn't realize that it is a good time for us to be delving into song cycles because we're coming into spring and mm-hmm. so many of the song cycles are about spring or actually winter and we're in the middle of winter right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Nature is a big part. Yes. We'll circle back to this. And so uh-huh. uh, there's lots of talk of different seasons mm-hmm. but in, Naomi, in the song cycles. Please get mm-hmm. us started. I'm dying to know the origin of of the song cycle. I, this is actually something that I genuinely don't know. So I'm looking forward to, <laughs> to finding out. That's funny because when you suggested this topic, it was Kyle's idea to talk about song cycles. <laughs> on an, I just on an like episode. them, okay? And I immediately thought that he suggested it because of the origin story of song cycles. Oh, no. But that's not it at all, I guess. <laughs> they just sound pretty. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well... Interestingly, song cycles um, are technically younger than opera, which is, I think, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know kind of like the genesis of song cycles as, an, as a form that composers were writing in 
because we attribute the very first song cycle ever written to a very major composer. Do you want to guess who it is? Well, this I you may have given away as we were talking about the episode. Mm. I could have. I'm not a very good actor. Otherwise, I would have laid it on. But uh, oh, okay. Is it Beethoven? It is Beethoven. That's shocking. The funny thing is, I never would have had I not heard you say it before i would have thought like okay who invented the song cycle and i probably would have said like schubert would have been Mm. my guess schubert and schumann were extremely inspired and influenced by beethoven's work with the song cycle um and they were amongst like the earliest adopters of the form but they did not invent it it was actually beethoven who kind of technically invented the song cycle or as Bill and Ted say on their excellent adventure, beef oven. <laughs> yes. I'm glad we could get that in there. Yes. So I think we've talked about Beethoven before mm-hmm. on the podcast because we talked about the story of the immortal beloved, right? right? So there's, just to quickly recap, um, I can't remember the episode number, but look up the immortal beloved in our archive of episodes. Take a listen to that episode. Um, but essentially Beethoven had a secret love that he wrote a few letters to that we don't know who the woman was, but he referred to her in his letters as the immortal beloved. Mm -hmm. And it was to her that he wrote the famous words, um, ever thine, ever mine, ever ours, which sometimes you see like inscribed on things in tchotchke shops and stuff. Yeah. So very romantic letters. I'm pretty sure those letters are included in like anthologies of like love letters by great men in history and things like that. Um, So anyway, there was this woman that he was incredibly deeply um, forever in love with. They never could be together. Um, There are a lot of theories about who the immortal beloved could be. Some people feel they've solved the mystery. Other people strongly refute those theories. So... The general consensus is we still don't really know 100% who she was, but it was this incredibly romantic, deep love that he had for somebody that he could never really fulfill or see through or experience like the fulfillment of that love. And so a lot of people think that the very first song cycle, which is called On die Ferne Geliebt or To the Distant Beloved. Ah. A lot of people think that this distant beloved that is referred to is actually the immortal beloved. I this think that's a fair, person that we don't know. That's a fair assumption, I would say. I mean, it's a lot of repetition of the same word, same words. That's true. But some people have also argued, there's some musicologists that argue that it's that distant beloved is actually referring to like a deceased love. Oh, okay. Um, so like distant being like a heavenly beloved or something. Okay. I guess that's different um, but from I, immortal beloved. Right. I tend to, I tend to side with you though, that it seems pretty clear to me or I'm, I would, I'm convinced by the idea that he wrote these to this same immortal beloved, just this person that he deeply loved, but couldn't be with. Will you say so, the name in German one more time? An die Ferne Geliebt. An die Ferne Geliebt. There is a T-E at the end. So sometimes when you sing it, it's geliebte. Ah, okay. Um, depending on how the syllables fall. But I think it's geliebt okay. in like, if you were to pronounce it and not like speaking, not singing. And so prior to this time, 
people had still composed songs, correct? You know, outside of opera or oratorio or anything like that? For sure. There was kind of a a tradition of people writing either concert pieces, so like a standalone song to be performed in a concert setting. There was also lots of songs that were written for, um, like based on poetry, setting Mm -hmm. a poem to music and kind of designed for, in a way, like salon singing. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, and of course, there's all these piano teachers and voice teachers (laughs) out there and they need something to teach students, right? And so a lot of this music was created for practical reasons, like to give, you know, young, well-to-do ladies something to sing. Uh And there are composers before Beethoven that wrote song. Um, Mozart has quite a collection of songs that he wrote um, some of them on rather scatological subjects <laughs> that, that were not fit oh. for parlor singing. But one of my favorite Mozart songs is Das Falchen, which is a little song all about a violet oh, that nice. like a person comes across while walking through the woods. Wow, we might have then, to do a whole episode on Mozart song. I guess they won't be song cycles, songs. but just songs. Right. And then Haydn wrote quite a few songs. Um, but then, so nobody had the idea to sh- to string songs together in an intentional cycle that was like on a similar topic or meant to be performed all together? Correct. So Beethoven was really the first who went about composing several songs. They were all based on poems by the same poet and there was like a through line or theme to the poetry Mm -hmm. so as the title of the whole cycle suggests they are basically all like pondering like distant love and unfulfilled or unrequited love Mm -hmm. um in one way or another but the interesting thing about beethoven's song cycle is in a way like when he created this genre he went like full force with a kind of like interconnected um, philosophy behind the creation so all of the songs are what we call through composed so there's actually when you look at them like in the score there is a clear break where like this song has come to an end but you're supposed to perform them without a break in between oh okay so like no silence in between and so they are through composed in that like one just leads straight into the other musically kind of music theoretically they are one constant stream of music and even though they are separate poems with kind of individual themes but you can't really excerpt one of them because sometimes they don't end like they don't end quote unquote on like a resolved cadence because the end of one song is actually the beginning of the next type of thing right and just to really explain like the resolving cadence that you're talking about is something that whether people know what a cadence is or not you know that like there are certain sounds certain chords that lead to the end of a song or the end of a phrase right and so there's there's it a cadence is just a, a very specific pattern of harmonies that within the context of the music tell your brain like we have now come to an end right Right. It's like why and, it gets really frustrating when you're listening to a song in the car or on the radio or whatever, and then somebody turns it off like three seconds before the end. 
because you're right. like <laughs> b- before like a money note or something like that because you're like your body like, your mind has been built up to this cadence and you're not getting the resolution that you're being led to yes you're you're led into anticipating how the piece will close mm-hmm. And then if it's just shut off before it can close, it's like you're robbed of the thing that the music is preparing you for, right? right? That's really interesting because now the the practice, it doesn't always happen like this, but the proper practice is when you're hearing somebody perform a song cycle, the practice is for the audience not to applaud in between songs. Like you Mm -hmm. wait for the full cycle to be performed and then you applaud and I wonder mm-hmm. if that has something to do with this origin of the song cycle being a scenario where actually the music doesn't even stop. So, like, you certainly wouldn't applaud between songs when the music doesn't even stop. Right. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. It makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. So Beethoven actually commissioned the poems to be written for this. So I think he conceived of this idea of, like, many songs tied together all by the same poet tied together with constant music and he commissioned the poems to be written and so that's another reason why people think he was very intentional about like the person he had in his mind about who he was composing this for like on an emotional level um who did he get to write the poems the the name of the poet is so hard to pronounce it's (laughs) um (laughs) Do we need to I spell looked it, it up because <laughs> I looked at the name and I was like, oh my word. And it's like Eloise Isidore Italis. So the last name is J E I T T E L E S. Oh, yeah. And I, I looked it up, and this person, um, he was basically like, worked in austria so he was like based in austria but he's actually from brno in the like modern day czech republic and so he would have been of czech origins Um, but at the time that area of the world was all under the control of the habsburg empire so Mm -hmm. it wasn't like it wasn't a huge thing for people from brno to be like moving into austria or working in austria so we got itelis and itelis was more so like a a poet yeah i guess just a poet that that beethoven would have known or come in contact with. He had become somewhat known writing poetry, publishing it in like magazines and doing smaller writing things in um, a Viennese publication. And so he was, he was not like the most popular poet in Vienna, but he was a known writer to Beethoven and Beethoven approached him to write, write these settings. He wanted it to be about longing and he wanted it to be about basically like somebody longing for this particular love and there are six poems in the cycle and so it essentially breaks into six pieces or six parts of this cycle and they each have a different focus and there is like a protagonist within the poetry so sometimes depending on what voice it's written in like the the poet will use the word like i do this or i feel Mm -hmm. right um sometimes it will be more third person like it is kind of third person but there is a kind of like autobiographical feeling to it um so in the first piece 
the protagonist is sitting on a hillside. He's looking at the spot where he and his love first met. He feels the pain of separation. Um, he decides that he is going to sing sing a song to express like the longing that he feels in his heart. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a little bit meta, like <laughs> yeah. right. In the second the second piece, he identifies the protagonist identifies with. Um, the kind of suffering that he feels in nature around him, he like likens that or or feels a kinship with that towards like the pain that he feels of being separated mm-hmm. um, from his love and he can't go to her. The third one, he is telling his thoughts to the clouds and he's basically like telling the clouds and the little creek and the birds to like carry his complaints and his songs to his love okay. um, and carry his sighs to his love. And then that the idea is that like the brook will like carry the message to his love and then his love will send something back to him. Mm-hmm. I guess the, the brook is reversing its flow, but <laughs> right. you know. I feel like nature always features very prominently in song mm, cycles. Yes. Like that's a star well, player. That's a very romantic era thing. Ah, fair like point. because this is in the romantic era in like the grand scheme of music history chunks of time. Mm -hmm. So he wrote this in 1816. And by that point, like just for some parallels, like Mozart is dead. Um, Rossini, Bellini, Donizetti are kind of rising to power. Rossini has already written, I think, either La Cenerentola or The Barber of Seville. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure they already exist. So bel canto opera is like a big thing in Italy. And you have the beginning of Beethoven as like a real compositional force. This is like he's producing symphonies. He's considered like a genius composer. Mm -hmm. He actually was funded by this point in time, like symphony number three, which is the Eroica symphony Mm -hmm. that everyone thinks he wrote to Napoleon. And then he, he actually like engraved the score like to Napoleon. And then when Napoleon declared himself emperor, he like scratched out his dedication (laughs) because he was so disappointed in Napoleon. anymore. Right. So by this point, by the time he's writing on, on Die Ferne Geliebt, he has funding from the Lobkowitz family who were quite wealthy. And there was like a count in there. Um, and so he had he had patrons and he had funding. He was known enough to do that or to have that. But yes, yeah, so in in romantic music, especially this is like the rise of the symphony, uh, the rise of the string quartet. Uh, nature is a huge theme in romantic art and romantic music. And there was a lot of like symbolism used using like the power of nature as a as a symbol for like the human experience mm-hmm. and like the emotional experience that a person goes through people in the romantic era were always likening like experiencing the sublime in nature to these experiences of like intense emotion right yeah, yeah. so there's that painting wanderer atop a sea of fog and it's like a, a man standing with his back to the viewer <laughs> At the top of a mountain looking over like a misty landscape and mm-hmm. very majestic. Yes. Nature is a huge theme and using nature as a metaphor is a big thing in song cycles at this time. I have a question. I might have an answer. <laughs> For this song cycle, is this voice and piano or are there more instruments involved? This is voice and piano. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, I would so, have guessed mm-hmm. with Beethoven that maybe he would do some like a, a more 
built-out orchestra, but voice and piano is lovely. Yeah, this is voice and piano, and that's something that kind of speaks to the like intimate nature in which it started. Mm-hmm. And then you don't really have song cycles being written for like full symphonic accompaniment until a little bit later. That's okay. kind of like the evolution of the song cycle grows into like this big concert thing mm-hmm. um, accompanied by full orchestra. But initially it was written as something for just voice and piano. Oh, that's great. Well, we mm-hmm. should, we need to listen to some of this song cycle. Is there a most famous part I think we should start at the beginning. A very good place to start. I was going to say, that's a very good place to start. <laughs> yeah. And so this one is the the protagonist sitting on a hillside, looking at the place where he and his love first met and feeling the pain of their separation. really lovely really nice and that's just the beginning right so I, I almost feel bad asking this because it's it's something that's not supposed to be excerpted but is there mm. another moment in in this song cycle that we could pull to listen to or are there other tidbits that we should know there's a few other cool tidbits about this cycle so one is that when we think about a song cycle 
especially when we teach song cycles and classical music, we tend to talk about them as if there's a narrative that starts at the beginning and then goes, like tells you a story throughout all the songs with some kind of conclusion at the end, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then we talk about it being a cycle because they are all interconnected with a theme and sometimes there's musical ideas that come back in different songs, like a musical gesture that will be repeated. Mm -hmm. But that's actually something, that idea of like, going on a very uh, structured narrative journey, like with a beginning, like kind of beginning and then tension or problem and then like some kind of conclusion. Mm -hmm. So that that idea of like a following a narrative story is actually something we associate with song cycles because of the compositions in this style by Franz Schubert. So after Beethoven, Uh, Schubert and Schumann are the two composers that immediately kind of pick up on this theme and they do amazing things with song cycles, which we'll talk about in our next episode. But the idea of following a narrative from beginning to end of story is something that Schubert did with his song cycles, whereas in Andi Ferne Geliebt, it's actually more of like a circle Mm-hmm. which is oh. so it's not like a through it's not like a line trajectory in terms of narrative structure it's actually a circle so the idea is that you could like listen to the last piece and then just loop right back to the beginning <laughs> and kind of go in this circle and so it's more of um like there is no like giant conclusion or like huge dramatic thing that happens, Mm -hmm. which actually does happen in some of the other cycles where there's this like tragic ending. Instead, it, it forms more of a circle or a ring. And a lot of people talk about how that might be symbolic for like a ring that you wear as a love token, right? Uh Like a love that never ends and that kind of thing. Or like a never-ending sense of longing. A never-ending sense of longing. Yes, there's a lot of symbolic things that you can draw draw out of this. And the very last song in this cycle is where the protagonist is basically sending the songs that he has written to his love. Um, and then... He like watches the sunset over the mountain and he's basically saying that she will sing what he has sung and then they will be like connected in this way. And even though there is distance between them, like they will be forever connected and their hearts will be joined like through through music. Their hearts will be tied together. That's nice. Yeah, it's really beautiful. So that's how it that's how the cycle ends in terms of like the last poem but it's supposed to be the idea that as soon as he says like our we will be connected always through music you could cycle back to him like still sitting on the hilltop mm-hmm. looking at the moment they first met feeling the pain of their separation right right that, i feel like so. that pretty well encapsulates a long distance relationship where you <laughs> right <laughs> Like you have times of feeling really good about it and then you circle right back to uh, <laughs> times right. not feeling so good about it. This sucks. Right. <laughs> and they're never far apart. It's very, right. very cyclical. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, then um, perhaps what we should do is end with this, the end of the song cycle to give us a sense of that feeling of how it could just loop right back in definitely. to the start. 
And I'll say one more thing to just for listeners to keep in mind for next time, because we'll talk about this more as we get into like what this song cycle inspired in other composers. Mm-hmm. Um, so another interesting thing that musicologists really like writing about a lot in song cycles is the idea of musical keys and how those keys have like deep symbolic meaning connected with the poetry. And when we talk about a musical key, a key is like, it's a method of organizing all the possible sounds in Western music into a smaller group of notes or pitches that function in a very hierarchical way. So when you hear people say, this is in the key of C major, or this is in the key of E flat major, or this is in the key of D minor, they're referring to a very specific collection of pitches and there's a lot of theories that composers attributed like deep symbolic meaning with certain keys. And so they would choose to set a song in a particular key to reflect the meaning of the poetry. And whether or not you can hear that as a listener is very debatable. And we can talk more about that next week. <laughs> so what is, oh, you said this is a next week thing. I was going to say, what, what is Beethoven trying to tell us with the keys of this cycle? So in this particular cycle, um, there are different moods that are expressed in every episode or in every poem that's set. And the key signatures go from E flat major in the first song uh, through to G major and then uh, to A flat major. And then they make their way back to E flat. Mm, Okay. So they like go also in a cycle and there's a lot of theories about how how they are linked together and and music theorists really like breaking that down into like what the meaning of a particular key is in a particular moment in the piece. So that's something that it's not as big of a deal in in Beethoven, although he would have been familiar with these things. But when you get into the works of Schubert and Schumann, there there is quite a bit of scholarship done on like what does the key uh, structures mean in a song cycle and how do they relate to the poetry that's very interesting but just to say uh-huh. the where we start in on defanagalipt and where we end is in what did i say e flat major uh-huh yes e flat major and so uh, typically e flat, e flat major in this time was the key of love of devotion and of intimate conversations with god oh it's an interesting mix mm-hmm. i also hadn't really put it together before i feel a little bit silly that it, it would make sense that these song cycles are cyclical like that they would function in that way where you would round back to the beginning because it's <laughs> right. it's called a cycle but right it's more it's now that's almost just the vernacular that people use when really it's it's almost like a song set or a song collection they're mm-hmm. they're not always meant to cycle back to the start right but that's really what beethoven intended it sounds like was for it to be a true cycle of of emotion or of thoughts or what have you yes very interesting well, shoot, there's a lot for us to talk about. Uh, I'm very excited for us to talk about the shoes in our next episode. The shoes being Schubert and Schumann. Yes, both excellent, both sometimes hard to distinguish from each other, <laughs> <laughs> if you're Kyle Homewood. <laughs> but really, their song cycles were the first ones that I was ever introduced to when I was in school. Mm-hmm. And so... 
yeah, I really enjoy them, and they, they're quite beautiful. So I'm excited for us to touch on that. I've never sung anything from Andi Fernagelipt, mm-hmm. but I have sung uh, one a complete cycle by Schumann, and I know bits, or I've sung some of the other excerpts by Schubert, even though they were not written for female voice initially. <laughs> right. um, the I think Andi uh, Fernagelipt is typically performed by a tenor, although okay. it can be performed by by a female soprano if you wanted to Mm -hmm. but it makes more sense i think for it to be a tenor because i really think there was a bit of like an autobiographical element to this and so if we know that beethoven was male and he was most likely writing this to a female love so it kind of ties into the history behind it to have Mm -hmm. it always be sung by a tenor although it doesn't have to be you don't have to but you can do it however you want Mm -hmm. very nice well thank you for Introducing us to the the beginning of song cycles, Naomi. You're welcome. It's, it really is interesting, and I am so surprised that it was Beethoven that started it all. <laughs> Although in hindsight, I shouldn't have been. It makes perfect sense. He was a moody guy. He was a moody guy. I guess I I'm also surprised that he was kind of the first to really think about publishing songs in this way because it's also Mm -hmm. like the way that you present it to the world right right yeah so it's interesting that he was the first to do this um like you know especially given that like string quartets were already a thing Mm -hmm. and so there were other there were other types of structures that were like several pieces or episodes or, or movements that were tied together in one but as we'll see, it's a very powerful idea that not only influences song cycles for voice and piano or for voice and orchestra, but also it actually bleeds into how those same composers, the shoes, also composed piano music as well. So we can talk a wee bit about that next week as well. A lot for us to look forward to. Well, mm-hmm. thank you all for joining us for this episode. Be sure to keep an eye out for our next episode on song cycles by the shoes mm-hmm. uh, the best thing to do if you don't want to miss that episode is to subscribe to opera after dark wherever you're listening to this podcast make sure you don't miss another episode while you're doing that we would also love it if you could leave a review that would be great it helps other people find the podcast and we love to know what you think definitely thank you very much for for doing that if you should leave a review and We'll look forward to seeing you next week. It'll be Naomi and I once again for one more episode, and then we're looking forward to being joined by our partner in crime, Elspeth. We're eager to have her back. Until then, I'm Naomi. And I'm Kyle. Thanks for listening.
Whoa! 